Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 68, Venice, Part 5. In the last episode, Venice had seen off the threat of the Normans and started building the definitive St. Mark's under Doge Vital Falier. He would rule all the way to 1096, when a very interesting business opportunity would present itself to the city. We all know very well that in 1095, Pope Urban II called for the First Crusade. Venice did not get on board straight away. They had always been a clever, cautious lot. Also, they had quite good trade relations at this point with the Muslims. However, there was one thing that bugged Venice more than anything else, more than the Normans, the Hungarians, the Muslims, and that was the Pisans. The Venetians and the people of Pisa hated each other's guts, and those dirty, scheming Pisans were getting in on all the good action over there in the Holy Land. So, in 1099, a fleet of 200 ships left the lagoon. To make a long story short, the fleet hung around doing some logistics for two months. It helped in the successful siege of Haifa, and then made for home. As was often the case with the Venetians, they put in a bit of effort and came back with heaps of cash. Oh, and while they were there, they took the opportunity to bash the Pisans around a bit. It was also around this time that the Venetians continued with another of their hobbies, which is collecting dead people. After having taken the remains of St. Mark's to Venice, it was in this period that they also miraculously found the remains of St. Nicholas, Old St. Nick, Father Christmas, Santa Claus. There was only a slight problem, which was that the remains of St. Nicola had already been found and taken to Bari around 20-odd years earlier. The Venetians opted to totally ignore this and to continue to claim that they had them for a few centuries before very quietly giving up the claim, hoping that no one would remember they had actually made it in the first place. It's a bit hard for us to contemplate this at a distance. The only comparable example I could find from my own experience were the Panini football sticker books when I was a kid. There was always one that was considered really hard to get. In my case, it was John Elway and the Cleveland Browns helmet. I just could not find it and nobody would trade for it. In the Middle Ages, they may have been the remains of St. Nicholas. I wonder if they ever considered a trade like we did, maybe a foot of St. Mark for a finger of St. Nicholas or something. The collection continued when, in 1109, they retrieved the body of St. Stephen, perhaps the Joe Montana of Holy Relics. 
The first Dodger to be elected in the 12th century kicked the century off with a very odd name, Ordelafo Falier. Ordelafo, as a name, is just weird. Maybe it came from a dare or a drunken night out, who knows? One of the only possible origins is the name of the family around at the time, which was the Orfaledro, that is, Ordelafo, read back to front. Anyway, it is interesting that we got hung up on linguistic issues because Dorje Ordelafo, in a certain sense, gave a word to the Italian and in time, the English language. Ordelafo had had a long, hard think about Venice and its ships. Shipbuilding happened all over the place. In some cases, the whole process from start to finish. In others, a part of the process in one place to then pass on to other areas. Doge Ordelafo Falier collected up all this production and concentrated it into an area east of St. Mark's, an area that still exists today with the huge, impressive walls as you take the boat from the Grand Canal out to the Lido. For this area, the Venetians borrowed an Arab word, dar as-sina, the house of industry, and made the word arsenale known to the Italians, a word which then made its way into the English language as arsenal, not the football team, obviously. In the arsenale, 16,000 workers could produce a fully equipped and operational warship ready to sail out of the lagoon in a matter of hours. This centre had no rival in all of the known Western world and perhaps would not be seen on a similar, permanent scale until the Industrial Revolution. It was so impressive that the great writer Dante Alighieri wrote of it in his Divine Comedy. And that was a sign of being cool for anything up to that time. If you were in the Divine Comedy, you'd made it. It was like the Walk of Fame, the Hollywood star thing. Unless you were in hell, then your reputation was ruined forever. Also because hell is pretty interesting, so more people read it. Purgatory, mildly so. And heaven in the Divine Comedy is mind-numbingly boring. Sorry for all the Dante Alighieri fans out there. Just my personal opinion, obviously. It is a great internationally round, important work of art. Sorry, sorry. This is what he had to say about the Arsenale. Quale ne l'arzanà de veneziani bolle l'inverno la tenace pece a rimpalmare i legni lor non sani che navicar non ponno in quella vece chi fa suo segno nuovo a chi ristoppa le coste a quel che più viaggi fece chi ribatte da proda chi da poppa altri faremi e altri volge sarte chi terze ruolo e chi artimon rintoppa as in the arsenal of the venetians boils in winter the tenacious pitch to smear their unsound vessels over again, for sail they cannot, and instead thereof one makes his vessel new, and one recalks, the ribs of that which many a voyage has made. 
One hammers at the prow, one at the stern. This one makes oars, and that one cordage twists. Another mends the mainsail and the mizzen. This focusing of all the political and labour forces of a city shows once again that the Venetians were very far removed from the feudal organisation of the continent in which the nobles who held power would not dream of moving outside of their comfort zone as military men. As we have also mentioned, the raw materials for all of this construction came from the coast of Dalmatia, so a priority for Venice was keeping the area under their influence and out of the hands of the main threat for the area at the time, the Hungarians. Indeed, it was against the Hungarians that Doge Ordelafo Falier lost his life in 1117 under the walls of the city of Zara. His successor, Domenico Michiel, took a more practical Venetian-style approach and sought peace with the Hungarians, who were quite happy to grant it and allow Venice a series of commercial presences all along the coast. It's a good job that they sorted out things close to home because trouble was brewing. In 1118, the new Eastern Roman Emperor, John II Comnenus, took away from Venice their trading privileges, and we've come to understand by now that that is the worst thing you could do to them. Things went downhill from there, and on the 8th of August, 1122, a Venetian fleet set out, not to attack Normans, Muslims, Dalmatian pirates or Hungarians, but they were headed for Corfu, a part of the Eastern Roman Empire. The siege of Corfu began in earnest, but was soon lifted when the Crusader kingdom sent to the Venetians for help against a large Muslim fleet from Egypt. The ships of the Republic soon found the Egyptian fleet. They sent out a small detachment of ships ahead, hoping to lure the Muslims into a trap. It worked. As they engaged with what they thought was a little flotilla, the Muslims soon found themselves surrounded by the whole Venetian fleet, and they were destroyed. The Venetians decided to hang around a bit longer in the eastern Mediterranean, helping out for the usual big piles of cash. One important event was the Siege of Tyre in February 1124. When the city was taken, Venice was awarded a third of it as compensation. Until that point, the Republic had been content with commercial presences in the city. This was the first time in their history that they had official political dominion over foreign land. It was, in a certain sense, the start of the Venetian Empire. Doge Domenico Michel scored a few more victories and got Venice trading privileges back. Since he was quite pleased with himself after all that, he thought it would be a good time to retire, so he did. Oh, and before that, he was the first to decree by law that the city should be illuminated by night, so people could no longer send the funny postcards that are all black with Venice by night on them. The end of the Dogato, the time as Doge of Domenico Michiel, brings us to the mid-12th century. 
It was around this time that Venice started to look a little more into the relationship with the rest of mainland Italy. For example, in 1141, they made their very first agreement with an Italian city. That's saying something about the level of independence. 700 years to first get together with your neighbours. The lucky city in question was the little burg of Fano. I've only ever been there once, just for the evening. It was a hell of a drive just for the evening. Anyway, from what I saw, it looked quite nice. Things with neighbours, as we well know, are not always fine and dandy. Another more troublesome neighbour was Padova. This was the neighbour from upstairs who left their tap running and leaked through to your house. Only the tap in this case was the Brenta River, which the city of Padova wanted to divert, which would cause absolute havoc, potentially disaster, to the Venetian lagoon. As you would with an unruly neighbour, Venice first tried to tell Padova nicely not to do it. Padova refused, so it was war. Or better, a very short battle won by Venice, after which Padova then changed their minds. The interesting thing was that the battle was a land battle and Venice had no land army. They did, however, have heaps of dough to buy themselves a mercenary land army. This showed that Venice had been paying attention to history. Many times, a victorious military commander would win a great victory or victories, decide he liked the power and the admiration, and head home to take command of the homeland, be it a land or a city. With mercenaries, you thanked them, gave them a pat on the shoulder, and as long as they had their money, everyone was happy. Venice's renewed attention towards the peninsula even extended to making peace with the scary Normans, which came about in 1148. Interestingly, this was only a little while after the Venetians had been fighting against the Normans alongside the Byzantines. This campaign was interesting in particular because although the Byzantines and Venetians were allies, the first bit of friction between them started to show. One event in particular was around the Eastern Roman Emperor Manuel Comnenus. It seemed that at a certain point, during a siege, the Venetian sailors put on a racist mock play, in which the emperor was made fun of for his dark skin. This was something Comnenus would remember. Anyway, 1148 was the year of peace with the Norman Sicilians and later, in 1154, a treaty would determine that all of the area of the Adriatic north of the line drawn at the city of Ragusa was under Venetian influence. Considering the city is almost at the very southern tippy-tip of Sicily, it basically meant that all of the Adriatic Sea, including the part where it opens up onto the rest of the Mediterranean, was considered modern-day Mare Nostrum, our sea, for the Maritime Republic. Oh, and also 1148 saw the failed Second Crusade of Emperor Conrad and Louis VII of France, which basically failed, but still brought plenty of cash to the Republic. Finally, in the action-packed 1148, 
we see the start of the Dogato of Domenico Morosini. It is under his reign that the bell tower of St. Mark's was completed. This brings us to, woe is us, another digression involving a group of separatists and a homemade tank called Tanko. But that will have to wait for next time. Until then, thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my Patreon supporters, the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei, Level, Anthony, Ben, Silane, Chris, Daniel, Dean, Greg, Ignacio, Jay, Caitlin, Kevin, Roberta, Rodney, Shelby, Stephen, and Vincent, and the tippy-top Maria Montessore and Dante Alighieri level Sen, Paolo, Reactionary Venetian, and Lisa Kay. Thanks very much, and welcome aboard also to Deborah S, Fabio M, Gary G, and Cara D, who became a Patreon while we were at the height of a complicated move, which really cheered me up. Thank you very much to Cara and to all of the new supporters. And thank you very much for two great reviews from Pito2345 and from Eric the King. Once again, thanks very much to everyone for listening and until next time, arrivederci. got a jawbone of Saint Agnes. No, go fish. Dang it. Hmm, have you got a kneecap of Saint Nicholas? What? No fair, you know I have almost all of Sir Nicholas. Sorry, that's the game. Now I have a complete Saint Nicholas. What? How can you? All I'm missing is a kneecap and an elbow. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Look. That's not him. Mine is. Let me see those relics. Hold on. This is the jawbone of St. Agnes I just asked you for. No, it's not. And you have five hip bones of St. Stephen. How is that even possible? And this... Thirteen toes of St. Ignatius. You are a liar and a cheater. I know you are, but what am I? Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. 
With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.